Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Gray. And if you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's episode is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. And I want to thank Tim, a longtime listener to our program, who has become our latest Patreon supporter at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 per month or more. You can become one of our monthly ongoing supporters at patreon.greatdetectives.net. You can also send your one-time donations, definitely appreciated, support.greatdetectives.net. Also, there's an address to mail in a check that is at that website. All right, well, now it's time for today's episode of Not Beat. The original air date, August the 14th of 1950, and this one is Gunner's Last Fight. Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. This one began with a bloody brawl in the darkness of an alley and ended in the glare of a fight arena with the winner and still champion, Old Kid Death. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. All that people need to make them happy, said Juvenile, are bread and circuses. And up to a point, I suppose the old Roman cynic was right. The promoter of the Metropolitan Arena probably never heard of Juvenile, but he would have agreed with him 100%. His fight club is a cut-rate monument to what the old Romans meant by circus, a place where gladiators meet regularly in combat. Its marquee flashed in the gathering twilight as I cruised past and crossed Madison and went up Clark. Taking my time, for the night was young and the waking nightlife of the jukebox taverns might offer an incident for a story. But there was no inspiration there, so I kept going, cut through a cheap rooming house section and headed for the office. I stopped for a red light, and that's when it happened. A burst of footsteps pounded up from behind, and a man, his shirt blood spattered, his head bleeding, jerked open the door and piled in beside me. Get going. They're after me. Hurry, please. Who's after you? Bigger's gun. Step on I ran the light, noting several figures in my rearview mirror as they stopped running and Fast. turned toward a car at the Fast. curb. I made several turns as my passenger Just kept looking here. back. And finally, satisfied that we'd lost them, he leaned back, took out a handkerchief, and wiped the blood from his face. Lost him. He was a stocky, heavy-shouldered guy, rather good-looking in a rugged sort of way. The ridges over his eyes were thick with old scar tissue, and there was a dent in his nose. The ear facing me seemed in good enough condition, but the mark of his profession was on him unmistakably. Thanks, pal. Thanks an awful lot. Dirty rat. It was more than just one of them. I counted three or five. I took care of the other two. The rat I mean is the one who hired him to do the job. Who? Marty Bannon. Bannon? Yeah. Someone else must have tipped him off where I was staying. 
This the same Marty Bannon who was up before the grand jury last month in that gambling investigation? You must read the papers. Oh, more than that, I covered the story. A reporter? I'm Randy Stone, the Chicago Star. Oh. I'm Gunnar Evans. I... Yeah, I know. I saw your name on the marquee at the Metropolitan. You're fighting Pete Madigan tonight. That's right. You've seen me fight before, huh? Oh, yeah, but not lately. Not since you started your comeback. Last time I saw you was over five years ago when you nearly lifted the crown from the middleweight champ. See, uh, which way are you going? Well, right now we're heading to the hospital. What? Oh, look, you've got to get to a doctor. Not head that arm, okay. Now, you look at it. It's just a scratch. Don't let a little blood scare you. All right, all right. Oh, there's a cop there by that street lamp. No, you no, can no, tell him going. Please, I, I haven't got time. What's that? Uh, look, Mr. Stone, I appreciate you helping me, but if I go to the cops now, they might hold me while they're investigating I'll lose two grand. Your purse tonight? More than just that. It's dough I put up to guarantee my appearance. Every dime I could scrape up. Look, I better get out. I'll drive you to the arena. Thanks, but I'm going home first. Got to pick up my manager. I'll drive you there. I'm in no hurry. Thanks, sir. I appreciate it. Keep straight ahead. I'll tell you when to turn. Good. What's uh, Marty Bannon got against you? Uh, I'll tell you someday, maybe. Works for a gambling syndicate, doesn't he? Works for it. He is a syndicate. I wondered. Turn to your left. You uh, owe him money? The house right there in the corner. <laughs> okay. The apartment house where Gunnar Evans lived was probably a very classy joint around 1910. I wondered what had happened to those fat purses he'd collected when he was one of the five ranking middleweights in the world. What had happened that he'd had to return to the ring to be a living punching bag for youngsters like Pete Madigan. Well, thanks again. Uh, uh, What's the matter? What's wrong? Nothing. Uh, just a little busy, I guess. Now, wait a minute. Come on, now, no fooling. You've got to see a doctor. I tell you I'm okay. I'll be all right. Well, you better let me go up with you. Stone, I... Uh... Appreciate all you've done, but you you don't have to worry. Okay, okay, but you can't fight tonight. Not with that gash in your head. The heck, I can't. Dan will fix it up. You just keep your mouth shut. Dan? My manager, Dan Morgan. It's above the hairline. They'll never notice. You coming to the fight? You bet, and I'm going upstairs with you now, too. I'm telling and you. And I'm now. telling you. Now, let's go. So we went up to his apartment together. He leaned against the doorbell like he was tired. When the door opened, he nearly fell in. Gunner! She was a little blonde with a baby face and eyes that were rhapsodies in blue. She shrunk back as he reached out to steady himself as though she didn't want him to touch her. And somehow the music in those big blue eyes vanished. What happened? Nothing much. Some hoods tried to jump me. I did all right. A friend of mine, Connie, Randy Stone, my wife. Come in. Connie, is that him? Hey, Gunner, I've been looking all over for you. What the Sam Hill happened? I told you to... Wait. Holy smoke, what happened to you? Don't get excited. I had a little trouble. Yes, in the large economy size, five thugs jumped him. What? Oh, don't worry about it, will you? I'm all right. Just need to sit down. Brandy Stone here helped me get out of it. Some of Bannon's hoods, I think, Dan. You ask me, you better call a doctor. Nobody's asking. Well, he's hurt. Will you he's shut up? I keep telling him I'm okay, and he keeps hollering for an ambulance. Lay off, will you, Stone? What makes you think Marty did it? Who else? He tried to proposition me into taking a dive, didn't he? 
He owns Madigan, body and soul, don't he? He even told me he'd do something to me if I turn him down. Well, why did you turn him down? For 500 bucks, I should take a dive? For 500 lousy fish? Well, why not? How far can you go? You think you're still a big shot, a headliner? Well, you're nothing but a has-been. Now, take it easy, Connie. Gunner I told him to fight. take it. I told him. How long can he last? I'm sick of being broke all the time. We needed that extra 500. Why didn't he take it? Because I'm going to beat Maddie, and that's why. Oh, you fool. What good is it? You'll never hit the top again. If you can't think of yourself, what about me? What about the kid of yours? Well, he's your kid, too, now. Don't you forget. My kid? Oh, no. Don't wish him on me just because I'm married to you. Connie. I'm sick of playing nursemaid, do you understand? And I'm sick of living like this. Wouldn't be if you hadn't ruined me. What? You've stripped me of every cent I had, threw it away on parties, clothes, gambling. Made me sell a little business. I had to pay your lousy debts. Why, you cheap, punch-drunk bum. Now stop that, Connie. I don't have to take that talk from him or you or anyone else. I'm through, do you understand? Through, as of now. She almost ran from the room, burst into an adjoining bedroom, and disappeared. Gunnar Evans stared at the closed door for a moment and then sat down slowly by the table. His face was gray and tired as death itself. Old Dan Morgan shook his head sadly and gently pulled Gunnar's head forward so he could have a better look at the cut on top. Really asleep, Dan? Yeah, I put him to bed before you came in. I hope she doesn't wake him. That don't look good, Gunnar. He, he, he still got that cough? He's better. I lit the vapor lamp by his bed. He'll be all right in a day or two. You know how kids are, sick one day up to next. Uh, hand me that bag there, will you, Stone? Mm, oh, sure. Here, thanks. Connie. Yeah? Where are you going with that suitcase? Ah. Uh... Connie! Well, that's the end, I guess. Oh, she'll be back, Donna. You know how she is. Yeah, I know. Now, I'll be still. I want to fix no, this. No, no, no. I, I want to take a look at Billy. Maybe he's uncovered. A young kid? Five. Uh, she's not his real mother, huh? No. Billy's ma died when he was two. Gunner married Connie six months ago. Thought the boy needed a mother. <laughs> Some mother. She hates a little fella. It's a shame. Well, I... Aggie and me, we never had any children ourselves, but if we ever had, I'd want him to be like Gunner's boy. What a kid. Smart. I don't get it. How can any woman, even a gold-digging little witch like Connie, not want him? Still sleeping, huh? Yeah. I'll have to see if I can get one of the neighbors to stay with him while we're gone. I'll sit down. I'll get my back. What about it, Dan? Don't you think this is a job for a doctor? That Will you keep cut... out of this? Gonna, I was going to tell you, maybe you shouldn't fight tonight. Dan, for the love of Mike, don't you let me down, too. Every cent I got is tied up in that forfeit. Two thousand bucks. Well, I don't like the looks of it, but... Okay. You don't think you've lost too much blood? Nuts. Get to work. Time's running out. We've got to be at the arena pretty soon. Yeah, very well. All still now. This stuff is going to sting. Go on. I only wish... <laughs> I knew who tipped Bannon off where I was staying. He stole a piece of cotton. There. Oh. Yeah. You didn't mention it to anyone... Did you, Dan? Of course not. A skin clips, a little jar of alcohol. Oh, this? Yeah. You mean you moved out of here and you were living in a rented room? He was only there the last two days. We were afraid something like this would happen if they knew where to find him. Somebody must have tipped him off. 
Bloodstained. Bloodhound. Must have been a fluke. Somebody must have seen you around there. A collodion. Round bottle. Yeah, yeah. Why would Marty Bannon go to all that trouble to keep you from fighting tonight? The odds are five to one on Madigan, aren't they? Maybe they are, chum, but Bannon don't bet on anything that isn't a sure thing. Thought he could buy me for a lousy 500. Well, he was wrong. <laughs> Easy. I'm almost through. He figured it was safer to claim I run out and divide my two grand forfeit money with that dumb punk of his. Well, for Pete's sake, what about the police? The boxing commission? I opened my yap and he started an investigation. Cancel a fight. And who's hurt? Bannon? Nah. What can I prove? I need that dough, Randy. I need it bad. I watched the savage gash in Gunnar Evans' head close up and vanish under the magic touch of Dan Morgan's fingers. When he finally combed the hair over it and put away his tools, I was almost convinced that my concern had been overdone. Dan's fighter looked as good as new. Uh, you go into that bedroom and get a half hour's rest, Gunnar. Try to sleep. I've got to find a sitter. Yeah, forget it. I'll call my wife. Aggie will be glad to come over. Oh, that'd be sweller. I'd sure appreciate it, Dan. She'd be tickled to do it. You know how crazy she is over Billy. Yeah. As a matter of fact, why not leave him with her? Until you get straightened out. Uh, I'll think about it. Billy can always find a home with Aggie and me, Gunner. I only wish I had him for keeps. <laughs> not a chance. You better get some sleep while you can. You need it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going. Oh, thanks, Stone. Thanks a million. I went down into the street, got into my car. I lit a cigarette thinking of what was to come and hating it. Gunner didn't have a chance. The odds were all against him to start with. But now Marty Bannon and his thugs had guaranteed it. The more I thought about it, the sicker and angrier I got. I knew Marty's address from the last time the police had visited him. Maybe he ought to know he wasn't having himself a private party with Gunner. Maybe he ought to know that if he got too rough, I might just invite the 800,000 star subscribers. So I started up and headed northwest. Maybe I could put a scare into this mother. Bannon lived in a single penthouse apartment in the medium high rent district. I pressed the doorbell, and after a moment, a small peephole opened. An eye gave me a fishy stare, and the door swung wide. Well? How are you, Marty? Remember me? Stone, Chicago Star. Oh, yeah, one of those poison pen artists. What do you want? A little talk. About what? About Gunnar Evans. Come in. All right, spill it. What's in your mind? Who is it, doll, baby? Shut up. Oh, I like that. I only asked a simple... You. Gunner's wife stood in the foyer entrance. Like Bannon, she was in evening clothes, wearing a gown that showed everything but good taste. When I saw, I knew who had tipped Bannon off where Gunner had been hiding and who had sent those goons on a murder trail. It was Connie herself. NBC is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Little-known episodes from the exciting annals of American history are presented in colorful, dramatic, factual manner on the Cavalcade of America, which returns over most of these NBC stations on Tuesday, August 29th. That's Cavalcade of America, returning Tuesday, August 29th. <laughs> 
Now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. I wanted to see Marty Bannon about the fix he was trying to muscle through on tonight's fight between Pete Madigan and Gunnar Evans. But when I saw Connie, Gunnar's wife, in Marty's apartment, I knew my words would be as useless as rain on Lake Michigan. It was she who'd betrayed her own husband and told Bannon where his thugs could find him. Her big blue eyes widened when she saw me and then hardened into chips of ice. You get around, don't you, Stone? Yeah, but it'd be tough trying to keep up with you, baby. Connie, I told you to stay back. What are you worrying about, Bannon? Gunnar Evans is bound to find out sooner or later. Probably sooner. Who cares? I'm through with that dumb ape, and he might as well know it now as any time. Look, dollface, I got enough to worry about without having a punchy mad dog on my trail. Too many big deals coming up. What's the matter, Bannon? You don't think he's got enough against you already? He can't prove a thing. You value your health, you'll forget you were here tonight. I thought you were smarter than that. A guy who fools around another man's wife is like a rented tuxedo. He never knows who's going to spill something on him. Be sure it ain't you. Now get out. Well, maybe I had done some good. I didn't know. At least he'd know now that somebody else knew what was going on. He'd drop the rough stuff, the fight would go on, and if he tried anything afterwards, it would be dangerous. I went back down to the lobby, walked out into the street. A taxi had pulled up to the curb, and the passenger was paying off the hacky. As I turned and stepped out onto the sidewalk, he turned around, and a cold chill hit me. It was Gunnar Evans. Oh, what are you doing here? Well, I bet myself that you'd win tonight, and I came here to make sure I'd have a chance to win the bet. You won't, so forget it. Why not? Why did you come here? For home, Stone. No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, uh... What are you seeing Bannon for? Get out of my way. You're supposed to be taking a nap and resting up. Why'd you come here? Take the 500 bucks. What else? Why? After what Bannon's done to you? After what you said? Why? Why? Just to think and lie in there. What was I gaining being so big and noble? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Your self-respect? You can starve on self-respect. Look out. You can see your kid go hungry. Your marriage go on the rocks. I got nothing to gain and everything to lose. I'll take the 500. What does it matter? I'm washed up. I might as well face it. But you can quit clean. You don't have to wind up crooked. You can get a job, do something else. What? The only thing I ever done except fight is drive a truck, and I can't do that now. Why not? Because I'm half blind, you fool. You're what? Oh, I can see you well enough, or anybody else who's close up. You don't have to see like an eagle when you're throwing leather. I can't pass no truck driving test. Well, I didn't know. Bring me a little bit. I didn't know. Nobody knows, not even Dan. You don't fight over 400 fights without losing something. With some guys, it's their brains. With others, their hearing or the teeth or the kidneys. With me, it's my eyes. Yeah, and my teeth, too. And the way things have been going, my brain's for all I know. All right, all right, all right. Now, come on back home, kid. You don't need Bannon's dough. It smells. No, but I need my wife. If I can find her and tell her I took Bannon's offer, well, she might come back. Get out of the elevator door. Move. I'm not breaking up my marriage for any $500. Bannon's on the 14th floor, ain't he? Yeah, the 14th floor. Wait. You coming along for the ride? You're making a bad mistake, Gunner, going to Bannon's. It's the worst thing you could do. Now, come on. Oh, preach, Stone. I'm sick of it. I made up my mind. Sure, I know. It's the end of the trail. So what? I never hit the championship gravy, and 
Even when you do, it ends up like this lots of times. No dough, no eyes, no brains. You still got brains enough to lick this thing, Gunner, believe me. Huh. Where's the button? Well... Stoney, it's different when you're young. The promises sound good. The world looks good. You read the stuff they print about you in the paper, you're great. Sure, it gripes me that everybody seems to be making off their fights except you. The gamblers, the crooked managers, the shady promoters. Of course, they ain't all that way. There are some pretty good guys, like Dan Morgan. He's the first honest manager I ever had. But there's so many of the others. So you bust your fingers. You can't sleep for nights on account of your hands are like... Like two big hearts beating with pain pumping through them instead of blood. You get your teeth knocked out. You can't breathe on account of your nose is busted. The years go by and where are you? What do you got? Now one day you wake up and the fires inside you are out and you're like a furnace full of clinkers. You're an old man. Is that it? Yeah. An old man. You know how old I am? Thirty-three. Gunner, I wish you wouldn't. Let go of me. All right, all right. If you must, you must. But before you ring that bell, there's something that uh, something you should know about what you're going to find in there. Yeah? What? What is it? What are you trying to say? Okay, Marty. I'll meet you right after the fight. Then we can... Gunner! Gunner! Marty, it's Gunner! Open up! Open Gunner. up, Gunner! Open up the Gunner, it's no good. She's I'll not worth it. My... I'll kill the rat! Come on, get a grip Open on up. yourself. Gunner! Get away from me. Connie, I'm freaking down for nothing. Connor, for the love of Mike. Who's gonna let me go? Listen to me. You ass Whatever time had done to Gunner Evans' legs, it certainly hadn't affected his punch. I went out like a shattered light bulb. When I came to, I was sprawled on my back in front of Bannon's penthouse apartment. The door was still locked, but I could see through it like it wasn't there. The simple reason that the main part wasn't. The entire middle panel was smashed through. Only the frame remained. I got up slowly. My jaw hurt and my brain was full of angry bees. I stepped through the broken door and looked around. I saw them. Connie and Marty lying at opposite sides of the living room. Their heads were twisted at curious angles. Their necks purplish and swollen. And they were both quite dead. I found a telephone, I called the police and sat there a while, trying to brush the fog away. My head throbbed as I tried to remember something I felt was important, but I couldn't quite recall. And then suddenly it came to me. The fight, the Metropolitan Arena, Evans versus Madigan. That's where he'd be, that's where I'd find the gunner. I stumbled to the elevator, went downstairs, found my car and drove out to the arena. Hi, is uh, Gunner Evans here? Is he here? He's fighting tonight. Don't you see the signs? Yeah. He's just in time for the main go, mister. Ringside? I got one on the aisle, row five. Here's my press card. Ah. Say, what's going on anyway, you know? Meaning what? I mean him coming in just a little while before the semifinal was over. His manager and the promoter was tearing their hair. You say the main go is about to start? Well, for round one, rang 30 seconds ago. You're covering the fight, better get on in. I headed down the main aisle for the press section of ringside. What was going on in that ring brought me to a standstill more than once before I finally got to the ringside and began easing my way around the gunner's corner. I couldn't take my eyes off him. 
The gunner was tearing at the Pete Madigan with a slashing fury that brought the crowd to its feet and kept it there. This fight wasn't going to last any ten rounds. I could see the gunner's manager, Dan Moran, standing at the ring apron, pounding it with his fist. Cross him! Cross him! Let him have it! How are you, Dan? Stone. He's terrific. I don't know. March it! Jab him now! Jab him! That's a boy. What do you mean, you don't know? I've been trying to get him to box, but he won't. Look at him. He's fighting Madigan's fight. He can't last. His legs won't take enough for ten rounds. Something's the matter with him. Yeah, something's the matter, all right. And he finally showed up. He looked funny. He acted funny. Something's happened. I don't know what. Uh, hook him! Hook him! He's wide open! Turn up, baby! Watch it! Watch it! Oh, that's a ticket. Jab him, Dizzy! All right, boys. Get that stool in there fast. Okay, Dan. Take his mouth, he's hot. My gosh, he shouldn't be breathing like that after only one round. Dan, I want to tell you something. Gunner's in trouble. He's terrible trouble. Any minute the police... Listen to him. Something's the matter with him. Look, Randy, do me a favor. Go back to Gunner's dressing room and have a look at Billy. Who? Billy. Gunner's little boy. I put him to bed there. What is he doing here? I thought your wife... Yeah, yeah. Gunner showed up there just before he came here and took Billy with him. Why? Maybe he's afraid Bannon's hood's... Might break in the house and take it out on Billy. I don't know. Now, go on, will you? Okay. I gave one of the boys a buck to keep an eye on him. Make sure he's okay. All right, don't worry. I went back down the ramp into the dressing room. Billy was sleeping on the rubbing table between several training gloves, biggest pillows to keep him from rolling off. Dan had covered him with an old bathrobe and pillowed his curly head with some folded towels. Cute little fellow, Annie. No wonder he's been able to sleep through all this noise. Yeah, but I guess he was just real wore out. Yeah, I reckon he was. Well, there's the buzzer for round two. Yeah, well, I'll go up and have a look. Okay, mister. I walked up the ramp, down the aisle, toward the press section. Round two was a facsimile, it seemed, of round one. How many rounds could a man go at this pace? He was pressing Madigan every second, a slashing, ripping attack like a madman, I kept thinking like a bulb that flares more brightly than it ever has before, the instant before it goes out. Gunnar Evans was fighting the greatest fight of his career and the last fight of his career. And then he was down. Gunnar Evans was down. Fake! Fake! He wasn't even hurt! He takes a dive! It certainly seemed that way. Gunnar lay sprawled on the canvas like a puppet whose strings had been cut. He didn't stir as the referee's voice came through the pandemonium. Walked down the aisle through a now hushed crowd. Nobody moved. When I finally got to the ringside, Dan and his two seconds were still working on Gunner. A scared, haunted look had begun to deepen the furrows of Dan's wrinkled face. Presently, the commissioned doctor climbed into the ring and knelt beside the fallen fighter. After a while, he looked up, pointing to the patched-up wound on Gunner's head. It had oozed some blood, but now it had stopped. This man was hurt before the fight. Yeah, he, he cut his head, I... I told him he shouldn't fight, but he insisted on going on. In heaven's name, why? He had a $2,000 forfeit posted. $2,000. How bad is it, Doc? His skull was fractured before he entered the ring. You mean that uh, he's dead? We went back to the dressing room, Dan and I. I tried to tell him what had happened at Bannon's apartment, but he didn't seem to hear. He shuffled along, his head bowed, his eyes red. We stared at the sleeping child, and I asked Dan, gonna have any relatives? I don't know. Uh, none that I know of. Uh, no, gonna didn't have any kin. You mean Billy's alone? 
Alone? Of course not. He's not alone. Billy's got me, me and Aggie, ain't he? Well, then you better take him before the police get here. Uh, yeah. Take him home with you. Yeah. Yeah, poor little fella. He must be tired. Didn't open an eye. Yeah, I'll take him home. Don't want to take any chances. There's a cop coming back. You going to keep him, Dan? Huh? You said you wanted him, didn't you? You mean? Gunner would have wanted you to have him. Billy. He's yours, Dan. For keeps. Your son. Well, 4 a.m. and another edition about to go to press. Another sunrise about to dawn. The death of one cycle, the birth of another. Or maybe it's all one, like time itself. Well, I'm not going metaphysical at this hour. But I can't help thinking that Gunnar Evans maybe wasn't such a failure after all. In a way, he's still punching, he's still alive, with a new set of dreams and a future ahead. Yep, in his son. I guess basically that's why our children mean so much to all of us. Like the philosopher said, they're our only chance for earthly immortality. <laughs> I'll have to get married one of these days. Copy, boy. Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by Irvin Ashkenazi with music by Frank Worth. The part of Gunnar Evans was played by Don Diamond. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Nightbeat came to you from Hollywood. Programs get your programs here. Wednesday evening brings you other great adventure mystery programs on this NBC station. Be sure to hear The Falcon, Mr. District Attorney, Richard Diamond starring Dick Powell, and Dangerous Assignment with Brian Dunleavy. That's Wednesday night for more stellar action-filled programs. Be sure to listen. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. This is Andrea J. Graham, author of the Web Surface series. Oh, and a madam's wife. You're listening to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. Welcome back. Well, I hate to point out again, but we do have a repeating theme, which is generally good-natured, down-on-their-luck boxers killing their wives. But, of course, there are some differences between this episode and uh, A World All of His Own, which was the third episode of the series. Still, it's a pretty big uh, coincidence. But what it does add, I think particularly at the end, is Randy works to come up with some meaning out of this w about uh, the meaning of parenthood is actually kind of profound. Though it's kind of a bizarre thing when you get to the end 
And Randy effectively tells the trainer that the child is his. Is that how adoption worked in the 1950s? Newspaper reporters could issue decrees? It's probably a little more complicated than that. Oh, my wife and I are working through the process right now. And from our perspective, if we just had to meet Randy Stone and have him measure us up for a couple hours, that would be a much better process. All right, and now to listener comments and feedback. Stephen emails, and he shares some thoughts. Some are on Superman, so I won't read them on this podcast. But he does let me know he's been getting the podcast to iTunes with few problems, even with all of the server issues you've had. That's definitely encouraging. And then he writes, Nightbeat was one of the radio programs we had just a few of when I was a kid. I really enjoyed them. I think episode 2181 was one of the best. I'm enjoying hearing them again and a few new ones as well. How many more do you have? Uh, We have, after this week's episode, by my count, we've got about 43, I believe. So we've got quite a bit of not beat left to come. And uh, he says, I've had a series idea for a while. I think it would be neat to do something like A Week in 1951. It would consist of all the series that could have been heard in A Week in 1951. It might not be possible to get the actual episodes from the same week, but the series could be represented. It would show the full variety of radio at its height. I think 1951 would be hot. You could choose a different year if you think it would be better. There would be soap operas, comedy, mystery, adventure, suspense, and news. It would be a long series, but very enjoyable. It occurred to me listening to an ad how many of the classic high-quality radio programs ran at the same time. I never watched TV that much, but I don't think TV could ever boast so many great shows at the same time as radio did. Just an idea. Uh, thanks for the idea, uh, Stephen, and <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it. I don't think that the, that particular series idea uh, is something, that, you know, as proposed, exactly something I'd like to do, but I think it's important to get it out there because I want to else may have an additional idea or component or amendment that might make for an interesting uh, series that we could do perhaps when uh, Superman is over. haven't decided what I'm going to do, and so I'm open to ideas. And certainly when I thought of the great detectives of old-time radio, it was after hearing a lot of suggestions from a lot of listeners about the type of program that we might do. And we kind of combined everything into the way we did the great detectives of old-time radio with a few additions here and there. So thank you for the suggestion. And if you have an idea for something we could do in the future, I'd love to hear it. Anything I do decide to do, it's got to be something that I will enjoy, but also something that I really think would draw a large audience because there's so much out there that I could really love doing and presenting. But time is somewhat limited, so I have to make these choices very cautiously. All right, that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow. Let George Do It returns with Olin Soule. And then we'll be back again uh, next 
Monday with another episode of Not Beat. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.